Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. We've been in a series called Journey to the Cross, and as I've been preparing for these messages, my heart has honestly just been tugged to be thinking about the, the extravagant love of God towards us. And so uh, my heart has just been filled with a posture of gratitude, thinking of all that God has done for us. And then, of course, we have this built-in reminder in this series that Resurrection Sunday is this Sunday. And so we know that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. We know the end of the story from the beginning, and I'm grateful that we get to celebrate that every single week, including next week. As we look at these passages, they move us to emotion to think about what God has done for each of us. I love what PG said this morning, that, uh, that he could be the king of your life. So he didn't just die for somebody else. He didn't come to just save somebody else. He came to save you and to lead you, if you're willing, this morning. Well, I've been thrilled to see what God has done over the last few weeks, and I'm looking forward to next week. And in anticipation of what God is going to do next week, we are going to have three special service times. And so if you think you're coming to the 8.30 service next week, you're wrong. If you think you're coming to the 10.15 service next week, you're wrong. And so we'll have three service times at 8, 9.30, and 11. 8, 9.30, and 11. Will you say those with me? 8, 9.30, and 11. Inevitably, somebody's going to be yelling at their spouse next Sunday saying, hey, we need to get there for this service time that doesn't exist. So just remember, set an alert on your phone, even today, of which one you're going to come to next week, but 8, 9.30, and 11. Well, as we've been in this series called Journey to the Cross, we've looked at a number of different passages, a number of different characters along the way on Jesus' journey to the cross. The first week, we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. In the second week, we looked at Simon Peter's greatest comeback story ever. In the third week, we looked at how the journey to the cross begins with the trust in the all-sufficiency of Christ. Last week, we looked at the story of Pilate and Barabbas, and the question was asked, what is truth? And the answer was given. If you missed last week or any other week, I would encourage you to go back and watch online at crosspointwaverly.com or Facebook or YouTube or find us on Spotify. A few years ago, our family had the opportunity to go to Lambeau Field on a Packers home game. And it was, it was exciting. For those of you who know me, you know that I don't follow sports. My wife is a huge Packers fan. It was a big bucket list item for her and my son. And so, and I enjoyed it. I mean, honestly, the atmosphere was electric on game day at Lambeau Field. And even if you don't follow sports, if you happen to be in Green Bay on a game day weekend, you know that it's game day. Uh, the Green Bay Press-Gazette estimates that 600,000 people converge into Green Bay on game day. That's six times the number of people who live in Green Bay that are there on game day. When you're in the city on game day, the traffic is backed up, flags are waving, people are wearing their Packers gear, and you know that it's about time. You know that it's game day. The signs are all around. Before moving here, our family lived in Des Moines for a number of years, and there would be times when when I would be taking my normal commute to work, and all of a sudden the roads would be blocked off. 
or I would be on the highway and the snow plows in the summertime would be blocking the turnarounds on the highways. And it was a sign that told you that the president was in town. You didn't have to watch the news to know that the president was in Des Moines. Instead, you could just know that roads would be closed and highways would be blocked off. And so it was a sign that let us know that. And if that's something that you got excited about, then you would get excited. You could drive by the airport and see Air Force One. Today, we find ourselves in the journey to the cross with Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. With Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, and his entrance was much more humble than a president of the United States flying into any of our cities. There are signs all around, and people are excited. There were signs that pointed to what people knew was going to be one of the most exciting historical days for them. I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 this morning, or scroll on your digital devices, however you're tracking this morning. But Luke chapter 19, we're going to start reading with verse number 28. The verses will also be on the screens overhead. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent Two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. This is... It's crazy. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us, open up our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of this passage, we see that Jesus sent two of his disciples that are unnamed to go get a donkey on which no one has sat. And remember what it's like to be in Green Bay uh, on game day and also to be in Des Moines when the president's there. There are signs all around. And the details are important. It signifies something. And it's this detail that, that we could miss, but no one who would be watching that day would have missed this detail. And it's this, that this is... Uh, the fulfillment of a prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. So if you're taking notes, Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The foal of a donkey. Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem set the stage for his crucifixion and resurrection by declaring him savior of both Israel and the world. And the detail of the donkey is the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's not a minor detail. It's a sign as big as 600,000 Packers fans wearing Packers gear, letting you know that it's game time or go time. 
Sometimes we can be so distracted with what's right in front of us that we miss the big picture of what's all around us. And so I'd like to show you a video that illustrates just that this morning. You're watching America This Morning, America's number one early morning news. Get ready to feel a little guilty for laughing on this one. Here is our latest and greatest evidence that no one should attempt to walk and text at the same time. Well, this girl right here, she's walking, she's texting, and goes whoop straight into the fountain. Oh. It, it all went down recently at a mall in Pennsylvania. The best part might just be her reaction. Just get up and walk away and hope no one saw it. No wor don't worry, no one did see it, except thankfully for the surveillance camera. And there's an iPhone app though that does let you see in front of you through your camera as you text. So if you really got to walk and text, try, try that app. We've all had some mishap happen while texting, haven't we? This is true. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for laughing. I'm telling you that I laughed harder than all of you. And so... Uh... <laughs> So you want to be aware of your surroundings. Don't, don't miss what God's doing all around because you're so fixated or focused on what's right in front of you. We need to be watchful of what God has spoken and what God's doing. What has he spoken to us along the way? Do we recognize it when he's answered our prayers or when his word has been fulfilled? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us alert spiritually. Now, as we move back to the story of the donkey, the story of how these disciples got the donkey absolutely cracks me up. And so I don't know if as you hear the story, as you read it, if you're like, does that seriously say what I think it says? Is that really what happened? Yes, that's really what happened. And so I can't imagine being one of the two disciples who got voluntold to do that job. Can you imagine hearing Jesus share the story about what's going to happen? Hey, a couple of you are going to go to the next town, and you're going to see a donkey there that's never been ridden. It's going to be tied up. And then when you see that donkey and you start to take it, if somebody asks you, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Say, we're getting out of here, you know? No, uh, tell them the Lord is in need of it. Now, I don't know what you're like in your small groups Maybe for some of you, when it gets towards the end of your small group session and you know that the leader's going to call on you or someone else to pray, and so you do this, and you think, if I don't make eye contact, then they won't call on me. If I don't make eye contact, they will not see me. They won't even know that I exist in the room, and so you stare at the floor. Or maybe for those of you who are in class and the teacher asks somebody a question, and so what do you do? You stare at your desk and you pray that that teacher has no idea that you exist in the classroom. And I can only just envision in my imagination as Jesus is giving these instructions about what's going to happen, the disciples all just looking at their feet, and then Jesus being like, hey, you, the one looking down at your feet, you're the one that's going to go. And so now these disciples go, and uh, I can't imagine uh, how they felt to draw the short straw on that one. But here's the deal. What seemed like an insignificant task would be a task that would be so historically significant. Something that seemed so small would be instrumental to the grand plan. Now I wonder what are some seemingly small things that God asks us to do that we don't see the full picture on. But even so, we walk in obedience to him, and who knows the impact that each of us are having. Sometimes what Jesus asks us to do seems crazy. Yet the disciples found it just as he had said. And so when they got to town, they found the donkey just as Jesus had said. And so a couple of disciples go to the town, and they find it. And on, on the way, I can just envision that they're practicing their lines. Right? Can you believe 
that we're seriously supposed to go steal someone's donkey that's tied up. And then when we find it, if we're asked, what's that line that Jesus said we're supposed to use again? Oh, yeah, we're to say the Lord is in need of it. So they find this donkey. And they begin to walk away with it. And the man says to them, the owner of the donkey, what, what are you doing? And their response was what they had practiced. The Lord is in need of it. Now, we don't get any details beyond that. The next verse says they took the donkey to Jesus. Right? So, so can, you, can you imagine as they're walking out of town going, do you believe what we just did? Like, we just walked up and took somebody's donkey. We didn't exchange any money to make that happen. We just said the Lord is in need of it. Now, I can imagine this scenario because it happens on a regular basis when my son comes and asks me for my keys on a Sunday morning to my truck. But I, I can't imagine a scenario where one of you would come up to me and say, hey, can I have the keys to your truck? And I'd be like, why? The Lord's in need of it. Sure. Go, here you go. In retrospect, as you think about this man who had raised this donkey, all the work for that donkey led up to this moment for this animal to be used in a magnificent way. Now, I didn't grow up in a farm. I didn't grow up uh, doing 4-H, but someone came up to me after the service who did and who just completely understands this and just said that this passage for them just is rich with meaning. You know, to think about the time invested in raising the donkey as well as just some of the other finer details of a colt that's never been ridden. And they're like, yeah, if I have some spurs, you know, but they're going to throw Jesus on top of that. And then even later as we look at the, uh, the cloaks being laid down or other gospels recorded as palm branches also being laid. And they said, have you ever tried to put uh, something in front of a, a donkey or a horse? They're not going to move. So there are details to this story that for some of you is, is even richer than, than for me uh, experiencing in this because I've not had the experiences that you've had. So they take the donkey to Jesus. In verse number 35, it says, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread the cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing nearer already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This story moves from Christ as prophet to Christ as royalty as Jesus takes his seat on the colt. In verse number 36, it talks about how they put their cloaks on the road. This was a sign of respect. We can see another example of this found in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse number 13, as they welcomed a new king. It says, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So they lay out their cloak, and with their voice they let out of him a praise that celebrates him as the coming one, the king. They say, blessed is the name of the Lord. And as he was drawing near, the people were filled with excitement. This is the moment that they had been waiting for. This was the moment that had been prophesied years before, and now it's happening. The problem is that they were viewing what was to come through their flawed lens of understanding. They were looking out for their own agendas. And there are some people who look to add friends based off of what they can get from them. And so there were some people who befriended Jesus or were cheering Jesus on that day because, they, because of what they thought that he was going to do for them. Some Jewish people wanted Jesus to be an earthly king for selfish reasons. They thought he would overthrow Rome and help, them, uh, help the Jews to rule over all. 
But we've got to see in Jesus the rightful king of life and the savior of all humanity, not just a specific demographic. And each gospel records uh, a Psalm, Psalm chapter 118, verse number 26. Each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record, and they have their own twist of this verse that's found in Psalm 118. But Luke says it this way, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. In each of these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all use the language of a king. They all have praise included in it, as well as the Davidic hope. And as Jesus enters the city, he presents himself as the king who brings the nation's eschatological hope. And a week later, he'll be taken outside the city because the eyes of the nation, in the eyes of the nation, he's a messianic imposter who must be stopped. And so the nation will say no, Jesus, just as Jesus predicted. A donkey now bears a king, but soon the king will be bearing his own cross. And there's this royal statement of blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest also reinforces Jesus' status as a prophet. And the reason for this is because he predicted that Jerusalem would not only would not see him until they said blessed, is the, blessed in the Lord's name is the coming one. And so when the disciples sing peace in heaven and glory in the highest, they're echoing what the angels, echoing what the angels said when they announced his birth in a manger. When they call him the coming one, they're echoing the words of John the Baptist who said Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. God has given Jesus a kingdom. It's not going to be up on the screen, but in Luke chapter 22, verse number 29, he says, And I assign to you as my father assigned to me, a kingdom. But God's kingdom is one where the youngest and the servants are most important. This coming one has now arrived and he's ready to offer peace and glory. Jerusalem had failed to recognize the one who had visited her and it was not for Jewish rule that he would be the king. And from the beginning of the gospel of Luke, we can see that he stresses the universe, universality of the kingdom. Jesus is the king. But the earthly Jerusalem is too small and mean to contain his majesty. All nations are to be his. He is the savior of the entire world. The crowd thought that they knew what they wanted, that they were small-minded. They missed the big picture. Jesus came for a global kingdom, not a local one. So in verse number 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees missed it. They were looking at their cell phones while they were walking around and totally missed what God was doing. And Jesus says to them, if these stones were, if, if these disciples were silent, the stones would cry out. Nothing was going to stop the announcement and the arrival of the king. Luke goes on in verse number 41 and he says, and when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Luke is the only one of the Gospels who records the words of Jesus to the city of Jerusalem. These words are ominous and they're telling. There was an ongoing issue that Israel faced. They were unwilling to listen to the word of God. And in verse number 41, it says that Jesus wept over the city. 
he wept over the city. As he looked out into the crowd, he saw that they were missing the mark. All of his teachings, the miracles that he had done, the discipling along the way, and he saw the brokenness of the city, and he wept over it. Yet it was the brokenness of the city and the brokenness of this world that Christ laid down his life for. I wonder, when was the last time that you wept over your city? When was the last time that you looked through your town or your city, our state, our nation, our world, and you looked through it through the lens of Jesus and saw the brokenness around us and wept? Jesus had arrived in Israel's presence, and like so many of her ancestors before her, she couldn't accept that God was showing up the way that he was. One of the commentaries by the name, author by the name of Bach said, Creation is aware of Jesus, but the leadership of the nation is not. That which is lifeless knows life when it sees it, even though that which is living does not. Luke portrays their rejection as a tragic, stinging indictment of their lack of judgment. So we see the excitement of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. We also see it being met with those naysayers who cannot see how God could work in this situation. They can't see Jesus as the ultimate answer. N.T. Wright writes, he says, As we arrive at Jerusalem with Jesus, the question presses upon us. Are we going along for the trip in hope that Jesus will fulfill some of our hopes and desires? Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise, but only as long as Jesus seems to be doing what we want? The long and dusty pilgrim way of our lives gives most of us plenty of time to sort out our motives for following Jesus in the first place. Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him, to do the showy and flamboyant thing, but also now to follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and death? There's so much in that. And as we look at this passage, we know that the crowd is fickle, that in one moment they're singing praise to God, and in the next they turn on Jesus and they're yelling for him to be crucified. And rather than seeing Jesus' triumphal entry for what it was, the fulfillment of a prophecy, many, including the religious leaders, were so concerned with keeping their own power and authority that they missed the Messiah. And N.T. writes, quote, Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him to do the showy and flamboyant thing, but also now to follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and death? Jesus conditions us to think in terms not of immediate success and quick returns, but of long delay and protracted struggle. The kingdom must grow throughout its king's extended absence. This morning, those of us who've been attending church or for those of you who've attended church a couple of times a year, maybe even those outside the church know the end of this story, right? We know what happens on Friday and we know what happens on Sunday. And so in the waiting, we know that Jesus has been crucified, he's been raised on the third day, he's ascended into heaven, but he's not left us alone. Instead, he's given us the promise of the Holy Spirit to be our helper and our comforter. And here's what I know, that without a revival in our nation, there's going to be some challenging times ahead for believers. 
We'll need the help of the Holy Spirit to give wisdom and strength and insight to see how God is moving and to see the big picture of his plan. Jesus made his journey to the cross for each of us. In preparation for this message, I came across this prayer from this pastor and it says, no other king would give his life and death for the redemption of rebels and idolaters like us. No other king can possibly make slaves of sin into prisoners of hope. Lord Jesus, you are that king, the king of glory, the monarch of mercy, the governor of grace, the prince of peace, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. I wonder how many this morning are able to make that profession. How many have asked Jesus to be the king of their lives? As PG said earlier, there was going to be an opportunity in this service to become a follower of him. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. If you say this morning, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to profess him as my king and as my savior. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him, and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to my maker. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if that's you, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. And this morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my king. Be my savior. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.